Before we start episode 19, I'd like to take this time to thank everyone in the healthcare industry that are trying to keep us safe. Frontline nurses and doctors, you're much appreciated. I also want to thank all my doctors and nurses, including my wife and mother, that have nursed me back to health. Thank you. Talking to the mic, brought to you by RSN Sports, best in the business, Parmar, and Brent's Plumbing. Looking for a chiropractor? Try Hill Chiropractic, Main Street, Madison, and Logan. They'll treat you like family. Welcome to episode 24 of Talking to the Mic. Uh, I'm really pleased to have my next guest on. Anybody that has any kind of memory of the football team at WVU in the early 80s, as they build the foundation of the program, will recognize Dennis Brown, a uh, hard-nosed, enthusiastic coach uh, that meant a lot to those teams. Coach, are you with me? I'm with you, Michael. Hey, Coach. Good to hear from you. Let's start this off, Coach. Let's tell folks your story, uh, your athletic career, coaching career, etc. cetera. Uh, you have the floor. <laughs> yeah, probably most of the people listening uh, – can't even can't even remember back when I started, but I played high school football in the Detroit uh, suburban area, and I was the uh, Michigan All-State quarterback in 1964 and got a scholarship to the University of Michigan, uh, lettered twice, should have lettered three times, but uh, the defensive secondary coach liked one of my teammates better, and I'll stand by that. But anyway, so I lettered two years. I was the all Big Ten quarterback in 1968, and uh, we finished eight and two. And I was the the last quarterback for a great Michigan man, uh, Chalmers Bump Elliott. Uh, I was a graduate assistant for Bo Schembechler when he came in, uh, and then I went in uh, on active duty in the service for ten months, and I came back in 1970. Uh, was a graduate assistant, and then I took a job at Dartmouth College as a freshman coach. Then I went back to Michigan as a full-time assistant in 72. Uh, I went to West Virginia with Don Nealon in 1980, and of course, I met Don a long time ago, uh, seeing as how he's at Bowling Green, and then he came on the staff uh, and was there a couple years, uh, and then he got the job at West Virginia and then I was with him for eight years and uh, went on to Arizona State and uh, completed my uh, college coaching career there in 1989. And then uh, I wound up being a high school uh, assistant principal and I retired back in uh, 2013. So uh, I had one more stop at Michigan as an assistant athletic director, but unfortunately it was short-lived. And uh, that, in all honesty, was the best job I ever had. And uh, unfortunately, like I say, I was only there a couple of years, two and a half probably. But anyway, I'm retired now. And uh, my wife and I are living in a little community uh, outside of Ann Arbor. And uh, we're enjoying it as much as you can, you know, with this COVID thing going on. And that's it. Well, great, Coach. You know, some of that I knew and some of that I didn't. Well, what didn't you know? I'll 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 square you away. No, you you did. <laughs> uh, the uh, before we get to your WVU career, let's let's talk about Michigan. Okay, uh, Bo Schembechler. You know, when I was a kid, uh, they didn't have all these games on TV. They only had two a week, I think. And when you watch Michigan play, you knew who that guy was wearing the sunglasses. Yeah. No question. Yeah, no, yeah, question. no question. But, you know, he, he didn't wear those sunglasses to a lot later in his career. And I don't know why, because uh, I wasn't there. I was with him uh, from 19. Uh, let me see. Get straight from 72 to 80. And, uh, you know, he didn't wear sunglasses. Uh, he was very uh, uh, reticent to let players and coaches specifically have facial hair. And, uh we had a, a running battle about that. He and I, I would grow a mustache every summer and uh, we'd come back to start our fall meetings and 
my seat was directly from him. He sat at 12 o'clock and I sat at six and he had looked down at me and he'd say, are you going to shave that thing? And when are you going to do it? So anyway, uh, uh, yeah, I, I had a great relationship with him. He was a, a terrific boss, uh, a great mentor. And, uh, I probably, uh, uh, used some of his, uh, tactics, uh, like you do when you're come up in any, any career, you, you follow some of the guys and, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, yeah, I, I look back and, and there was probably a couple of, maybe more than a couple of situations where I could have been a little less enthusiastic, as I might say, uh, with uh, some of my players, certainly not physically, uh, but uh, in meetings and stuff like that. But uh, anyway, uh, they knew that I loved them and they knew that all I wanted them to do was play as, as to the best of their ability and that I wanted them all to play for one reason, that was to win. So uh, they bought in. They really did buy in. I was, uh, I was very, very happy with my eight years there. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, I was very happy there. What about coach? Tell us about, and I'm going to date myself here, but before TV screwed up the bowl situation, uh, you know, the Rose bowl was the big 10 versus the pack 10 and the granddaddy of them all. I know you guys went, uh, tell us about that experience. Well, you know, when you're when you're living it, uh, you're just you're coaching to get ready for a ball game. And uh, well, there's a lot of uh, uh, hoopla that goes on around that. You know, you're probably familiar with with Lowry and their steak eating contest between the two teams. And, uh, you know, you go to Disneyland and, and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, it's, it's business as usual. Uh, you want the kids to have fun. And, uh, you, uh, you do your best to see that they do. And, uh, I think, uh, Bo went in 69 and I was uh, on active duty in the service and actually, uh, was on leave over Christmas and went out to, uh, uh, Pasadena and, and actually ran scout team, uh, uh, for them in preparation for the Rose Bowl. And then of course, Bo had his heart attack, but the uh, three times that we went, Bo had, uh, learned a lot about uh, how to uh, get a team ready uh, that 69 team I think they were they were beat up before they went into the game because when uh, when you played for Bo uh, there was no half speed and uh, I used to we used to as a staff when we would go to coaches clinics we'd have opponents coaches come up to us and say that they wouldn't come out until uh, we got off the field because they didn't want their kids to see our, <laughs> see our, <laughs> our, our preparation because I can tell you, Bo would put that ball on the three yard line and he put the first defense out there against the first offense and you better get after it. You, you, you know, you, you just better get after it. So uh, he was a very tough physical guy. He was uh, 180 degrees different from bump Elliott. And, uh, but I had the opportunity to come along in a really great time to be able to play for bump and to actually work for and coach for Bo. I, I learned a lot from both, both of those guys. Yes, yeah, certainly uh, icons of the sport and uh, just wrapping up the Michigan thing. I, I read Bo's book and uh, as a football fan, just loved it. Uh, so now let's move on to West Virginia. Okay. Uh 1980, 1979-80, you guys come to town. Uh, as we've talked earlier, you started out holding meetings and uh, probably practices, I'm going to say, in Old Mountaineer Field. Oh, yeah. A- and you guys, you know, they can talk what they want about, you know, everybody's glory years. You guys built the foundation for what's going on there now, in my well, opinion. I, yeah, I, I would like to think that we had – uh, something and maybe a lot to do with that. But I got to tell you a story about Don and I, when we left uh, Ann Arbor for Morgantown, we got lost and uh, we got lost because we were talking and uh, it was actually uh, new year's day uh, that we left. And uh, it took us uh, an hour or two more to, to get to Morgantown than it should, because 
we just kind of lost track of what we were doing. But uh, we got there and, uh, you know, we were staying in hotels and so on and so forth. And we met on a regular basis with our new staff. And we went through the offensive and defensive playbooks and terminology and all that stuff. And we met with the kids and that sort of thing. I should say the players. Uh, they're all grown men with families now, of course. And, uh, yeah, we uh, we had the off-season program. And one of the things that was very evident when we went to West Virginia was there was a lack of strength, physical strength, uh, with the kids. I can tell you for a fact, and I don't know if they would admit it or not, but, you know, I was a young buck. I was like 33, 34 years old, and there wasn't a guy at my position that I was coaching that could out-bench me. Wow. And, uh I used to embarrass them. And then uh, Dave uh, Van Hallinger was our strength coach. And, you know, Don gave him, uh, you know, some uh, goals. And uh, there was a time where at one point in time, we had like 50 to 55 guys that were benching over 300 and two or three that were over 400. And uh, that made a tremendous difference. And that first year, we only lost three games by, by a total of six points. And had we had an opportunity to just win, you know, one or two of those, uh, that would have been unbelievable. But, uh, you know, we, we, we stuck with it. We did a couple of things, I, I can say, defensively that really helped us. And uh, the guy that uh, made that very apparent to me was uh, a guy that I had worked with at Michigan, who was the head coach at, at Syracuse, uh, Frank Maloney. And uh, Frank knew the angle defense very, very well, and he took full advantage of it. And uh, he did some things to us that made it very clear that we were going to have to do some other things uh, if we were going to be successful. So we did. And, uh, you know, the players adapted very well. Uh, The coaches coached it up very well. And, you know, we went on a a three-bowl game kind of a rip there. So, uh, you know, we uh, we had guys that bought in, and we had, we had unbelievably uh, uh, talented guys. You know, we talked earlier before the show about Delbert Fowler and Daryl Talley and uh, Dennis Folks and uh, Newberry and, of course, uh, A.G. and uh, Todd Campbell and uh, Dave Oblack, for crying out loud. What a great middle guard he was for us. And, uh, you know, we had uh, we had guys that uh, wanted to win and they, they would do what it took to do that. So. Uh, you know, we coached them up, but you know, like I say now, when people call me coaches, coach and players play and they played. Right. What, what a great insight coach. Uh, let me ask you this. Your biggest wins at West Virginia. Tell us about. Well, obviously, uh, the Oklahoma win was big and I got to tell you, uh, some caveats on that, uh, we knew that uh, we were going to be facing uh, a great option team. And uh, so we wanted to go find out about the option. And so we went to Alabama. And unbeknownst to us, when we got down to Alabama, they couldn't have been more forthcoming, you know. And we found out while we were there that Alabama and Oklahoma actually did a lot of communicating with each other. And so uh, they they opened up their doors. A couple of cute little stories. Uh, we got to actually meet Bear Bryant. And uh, we met extensively with his defensive coordinator who had been with him for a long, long time, 15, 18 years. And, uh, you know, the first thing you have to do is you have to establish communication. You know, what do you call this and what do you call that? And then we're trying to trying to do our packages to meet with them and so they had some calls that were just you know uh uh, railroad uh, 47 or something like that you know and so our first question was what does that mean to you know your down linemen your linebackers and your secondary because you know when we called the defense it called the front told everybody where they were supposed to eventually wind up it told the linebackers their gap responsibility and we called the secondary coverage so coach could you give us an example of what one of those calls would have been for us? Yeah. Oh, sure. Uh, 84 tough check Zorro. And so that, that's, that's all three levels of the defense. That, right there. Co- that covers everything you want to know, covers everything you want to know. And, and the thing about 84 tough check Zorro is that both coverages behind you are two deeps. They're different kinds of two deeps and the formation of the offense would 
tell the defense where it lined up based on where the tight end was. If there were two tight ends, you went to the field. If there was a single tight end, you went to that tight end. So uh, everybody knew the linebackers would say, you know, Louie or Roger or whatever it was, or Lion, I think we used it at the time. But uh, yeah, it told us everything. And so uh, within the numbers and the uh, tough check Zorro, uh, it told the inside linebackers and it told the secondary what, what we were going to be in. So, uh, of course, we, the, the joke of the thing was when we asked the defensive coordinator, well, what does uh, Railroad 47 mean? He said, well, it's what coach likes us to call it. And so that's what we call it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. No, no bigger name than, than uh, Bear Bryant. No, we laughed till we just almost peed our pants. Yeah, it was, uh, it was funny. But, boy, they, they uh, opened up their vault for us. We asked some questions. And the, the main thing that we got out of our trip down there was you have to have two defenses you have to have an alternative because if the if the one you're working with which might be your base isn't working you got to have something else to go to so as we approached uh our preparation i remember dave preston great uh, linebacker for us started as a freshman great kid just love david uh we were in spring ball and and he david said to me very perceptive he said uh Hey, coach, he said, we're not working on any pass, you know, pass drops and pass coverage. I said, David, if we're if we're dropping on passes, that means they're having fun. <laughs> so yeah. so uh, anyway, and then we tested them every way we could. I remember I asked Don in the spring last spring scrimmage that we have if he would let me just you know give him some uh, uh, option type passes to run and that sort of thing to test us, you know. And uh, he was very cooperative and, and did, did such a thing. But uh, And also, I'm sure the players probably aren't aware of this, Don had a beautiful uh, sport coat. Uh, it, was, uh, it wasn't a tweed. It was, uh, it, was, it, was, I was, it was just a beautiful sport coat. We used to give him a lot of guff about it. And so uh, we were in a, in, a, in a staff meeting before we left to go down there. And I, it was Russ Jakes. Russ said, Coach. If we beat Oklahoma, what are you going to do for us? And Don said, well, what do you mean, what am I going to do for? He said, Russ said, well, we really like that jacket that you wear. He said, men, we beat Oklahoma. I'll buy you guys all one just like it. And he did. (laughs) Good deal. Uh, Good deal. You know, I was talking to Tim Agee earlier this week, and I go back to the tone – excuse me, Jack Fleming and Woody O'Hara broadcast days – and again, we go back to where there was only a couple games a week on TV. So I'm a kid, uh, you know, 12 or 13, maybe 14 years old. I turn on the radio. Oklahoma goes up by two touchdowns quick, and uh, West Virginia fought back. But the one thing, one of the things I remember is Oklahoma had a guy named Marcus Dupree. Yeah, pretty good back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 245 pounds, six foot three, sprinter speed. And on his first play, as he come around the end with the ball, Tim Agee, 175 pounds soaking wet, stuck his hat in Marcus Dupree's ear hole and uh, just put him down. What a great tackle. And I'm sure he felt it. Yeah, well, I know this. Tim did that on many, many occasions. He didn't get the term hitman for nothing, but interesting about Tim he just he just literally came on the scene out of nowhere uh you know he wasn't the most physically gifted guy uh but he he had a feel for the game and boy I tell you what he could seek that ball out which going back to that right there you know you said Oklahoma goes up 14 to nothing and so that was and I remember this like it was yesterday I'm on the field and they score their second touchdown. And I said to whoever was in the press box, it was probably Billy Karlovich and, uh, and at the time, Bill O'Connell. I said, well, guess what? It's plan B. So we went to plan B. And I'll tell you what, when we looked at the film on Sunday, what happened was when we went in to play them, they had uh, their down five offensive linemen uh, that several of them had switched positions, a tackle. I can't remember exactly. One went to center, one went to guard and one went to, you know, whatever. And so our strength 
defensively was our down linemen. We had six or seven down linemen that we felt were as good as anybody that we had. So we put in almost a goal line uh, kind of defense where we covered every down lineman. We stuck Dennis Foltz right over the, the center and uh, we played ball. Well, one of the things that's important in option football uh, or in any, any kind of a run game is seams. You have to have seams to run in. Well, one of the things that was very obvious when you looked at the film was when we went to that look, those offensive linemen closed their splits. In other words, they closed the distance between the center and guard and the tackle and guard. And there, there was, there was not very many places where they could get in there. And, you know, from a strength standpoint, I mean, we had guys in there. I mean, uh, geez, oh man. Uh, uh, of course, Todd, uh, we had, uh, uh, the big guy, uh, Rich Walters from up in PA, uh, I mean, we had some guys that would fight you at the drop of a hat. The other thing that we were told when we were down at, at uh, Alabama was when you have a defensive tackle that's playing the outside shoulder of their offensive tackle and that offensive tackle gaps down, don't close, come up the field, you know, and the first, I, I remember Rich Walters hitting that, that second back through. <laughs> that ball went about six foot, in, six foot in the air. So, and I, I'm on Facebook with Richard, and I keep, I keep remembering you always, you were always a guy that took coaching, Rich. And thanks for not closing on that five technique. But, uh, but yeah, little things like that that really make a difference. And uh, of course, Bill Karlovich did a great job coaching the defensive line. He's, uh, he was a special guy. He didn't believe. Bill did not believe in second effort. He would always say, what, what happened to the first effort? I don't want to hear about that second effort stuff. What happened to the first effort? So, uh, yeah, we, we had quite a, quite a group of, uh, of coaches. And uh, we, uh, a lot of people probably don't know that Lloyd Carr was on that staff for about three months. And then he wound up going back to Michigan. And then we had another guy that, uh, that came in to coach the defensive line by the name of Bobby Sutton, who uh, went on to be the, the head coach at army. And then he was in the national football league for a long, long time. But uh, you know, Bobby had, and, and Lloyd both had come off the Illinois staff. And uh, that was a staff I would probably have been on had I decided to go with Gary Moeller to Illinois, but I didn't, uh, which was good for me. But uh, anyhow, uh, th- that's some little things uh, that some people don't know. And of course, from a coaching standpoint, things that, that we did, but uh, yeah, Timmy got the name Hitman for a reason. He could uh, he could light you up. Yeah, and, and thanks for sharing those. Uh, you know, really some technical issues about fo- the play of football and the play of defense that a lot of people just don't realize. Um, Penn State, yeah, 20, 20, 20 some years, uh, twenty six maybe I think it was in a row. Uh, and you guys beat them. Well, uh, you got to you got to frame that up for me for a question. You're talking about Penn State, right? Yeah, I'm talking about Penn State. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Field, yeah. 1984. Oh, I remember. Uh, I mean, hey, uh, uh, Holly intercepted the pass to ice it. Uh, Rich Rodriguez uh, had an interception. Uh, Tally played lights out, uh, and all the guys did. I mean. Uh, uh, what was interesting, of course, we had Jeff Hostetler and, uh, you know, the coaches, we talked to Jeff a little bit, not about anything technically or anything like that, but he said that everything, uh, every time they played West Virginia, Joe Paterno would say to them, these guys have never beaten us. Do you want to be on that team that says you got beat by West Virginia? So that was the, the way that they approached it. And uh, we also got a couple other things from Jeff as far as, uh, <laughs> some of the names that the, the players had for uh, for Joe. And we used one of the nicknames as a defense, and I'm not going to give it out because Joe, <laughs> Joe's no longer with us. And I say Joe. I met him one time, and he wasn't very nice when I met him, to be honest with you. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah, he was a, a great coach, a great motivator, and uh, he uh, he had a great program there, and there's no question. But uh, we're we're so happy that we had the opportunity to – bring in a guy like Jeff Hosteller. You know, Coach, I, I've got a Joe Paterno story of my own. Uh, 
Penn State recruited me, and and when I was in the eighties, in, in the eighties at that time, you know, Joe Paterno was at the top of any kid's list as far as football goes. Uh, so back it up to about nineteen eighty two, I'm going to say. Penn State at West Virginia. And you know what they used to say about Pitt. And then they would say, piss on Penn State. Yep. And I had a button somebody had given me. It must have been the size of a hubcap. Uh, <laughs> that's what it said. Well, you know, uh, I was sort of close to the program at an early age. Uh, even 82, uh, I was in the locker room after games. And after the game, as I come down to the facilities building, there's a big, like a U-Haul truck or something. And seeing these people gathered around it, I didn't realize it was at the visitor's locker room. So I thought, I'm, who, who is that? And I turned the corner, and it was Joe Paterno standing in the back of this van. And he looked right at me, Coach. He had to see that button, okay? So fast forward to two years now, I sit down to breakfast with him at Penn State. And all I could think about was, wonder if he remembers that I'm the guy that had that button on, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but, uh, of course, being a recruit, he was nice to me. But, uh, you know, you guys really – you brought the program uh, to to heights that it hadn't seen. Uh, we've already – you've mentioned several players uh, that were part of this building process – but, you know, really, you guys deserve a lot of credit. And I want you to see if we're on the same page on this. What I try to get across to people when they start criticizing teams or players, they just – they don't understand the fact that you call a play, okay, 84, tough, Zorro. There must be 100 variables on that one play. Uh, calls on the move, uh, the tight end flips from the field to the boundary, etc. The people, the common fan, just don't understand what it takes to call and execute. No, play. they don't. You know, uh, and and to be honest with you, uh, most people when they look at the scoreboard, they just want to see that you score, your team scored more points than the other team. I mean, they love a fifty to forty eight game. And I used to tell the defense on a regular occasion, I said, hey, man, listen to this. He says, this, this is what I, this is my favorite uh, thing that I would love to see in a, in a football game. It's seven to nothing. And the defense scored the touchdown and shut out the opponent. That's my goal. And that's my favorite thing that I would, uh, that I would like to see in, in a game. And uh, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, now, holy Toledo, I mean, uh, these people with these spread offenses and uh, pass option, uh, uh, pass read, whatever you call them, they, they, they are like red pass yeah, option. They are they're lighting, uh, lighting the thing up and, uh, you know, they're creating uh, space. Uh, they're they're putting uh, uh, people in positions where they're utilizing their uh, their abilities and, uh, you know, defense is a react, reactive type of a thing. And uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't particularly care for that. And that wasn't a defense philosophy that I grew up in in Ann Arbor. I mean, uh, one of the best coaches that I was ever around was a guy named Tom Reed, who coached the defensive line at Michigan. And he said, you know, left, right, straight ahead. Uh, which one am I going to do? And that really encumbers your offensive line because if you're going to line up on an outside eye of an offensive tackle down after down after down uh you know they get a bit of read on you but now i'm i'm a tackle playing a five technique and uh, and i loop to the outside and close back down or i cross that guy's face or now i play straight and, and straighten your shoulders up you know you got these guys thinking but uh, you know i i always wanted to to get after people and give the give the players a chance to to utilize their talents and uh you know that's that's the way that we played and uh um well uh that's the way that we played and uh, so uh and i like to bring short corners uh into play i like to i lo really love to bring strong safeties on 
uh, a couple of different blitzes that we had to get them in the mix and that sort of thing. But anyway, uh, everybody plays differently. Uh, but uh, I, I wasn't uh, a, a three-way go uh, read type thing, you know, punch them and then find the football. Now, I, 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 didn't, I didn't believe in that. And plus, you have to have, a, a, you have to be exceedingly strong to do that play in and play out. So you can be strong, but still have the movement and uh, utilize uh, those kinds of things to, to an advantage if you can. But, you know, we, we, uh, you mentioned my, my favorite wins, obviously Oklahoma, I mentioned that Penn state, obviously. And then when we started beating uh, Pitt uh, on a regular basis, that, uh, that, that was always uh, a good deal. But uh, yeah, we had, uh, you know, of course the bowl game where it was uh, supposed to be the, the, uh, the uh, uh, bowl game of the year from the standpoint of, you know, Florida was going to crush us and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, we wound up beating them 20 to six, very, very soundly. And we really had a great game plan against them. We, we really, really did. And uh, it was, uh, it was fun. It was, it was a whole lot of fun. Anytime you win, it's fun. Uh, you know, we played TCU in the blue bonnet bowl game and, and we did a number on them. And, and as a matter of fact, we were so, we were so good at it. They came to our spring ball the next spring t- to find out what we were doing. So, uh, yeah, we uh, we had some, yeah, some 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 great times, some great games. And I had a chance to work with some really, really, really good guys. You know, Gary Tranquil, Steve Dunlap, Doc Holliday, uh, you know, guys uh, of that ilk, you know. Yeah, Coach, uh, you talk about being aggressive. Uh, as a defensive play caller, what comes to my mind is the number you did on Doug Flutie, uh, especially his senior year. Uh, the, the plays I remember are your linebackers coming and just sure. chased him. Matt Smith, uh, uh, Freddie Smalls, uh, just play after play after yeah, well, play. We, uh, we had had great success against Boston College, and I, I remember this like it was yesterday we're playing at Boston college and we're beating them and it's Flutie's freshman year. And uh, Jeff Seals was one of our outside linebackers. I think Jeff, I don't think I know Jeff played to the field, but uh, number 22 comes into the game. And I was uh, with Bob Simmons uh, on the sidelines there. And uh, we both said, who's this kid? You know? So we watched him a little bit and so on and so forth. Of course he finished the game against us and Bob and I were in the locker room and we said, We'll see that kid again. And so anyway, uh, we, we beat them at home. We beat them there. And then when they came in his senior year, uh, one of the things that we encouraged our guys to do was to just let it hang out. Don't let him out of the pocket. Keep him inside. And, uh, you know, Freddie came, uh, came uh, 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 free several times. But uh, everybody played really, really well. And in, in the halftime adjustment, I can still remember. I put a zero on the board, and uh, there, there, you know, there's there's no adjustments. We made three mistakes. They took advantage of those mistakes, and so you know, we went out in the second half and we shut them out. And we wound up beating them. And uh, Flutie to this day has said, you know, I I can't figure out why I can never beat West Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's the only team you never beat, as far yeah, as I'm I know. That's exactly right. And, you know, I, we talked about this, I think, the other day, talking about Gerald Talley, what a, a great athlete he was. I mean, he could he could do anything you ask him to do. Daryl, here's what we want you to do. What do you think? Yeah, I can do it. So uh, they had a Boston College, <laughs> that last game, had a wide receiver that was uh, Flutie's favorite. So we put in a defense uh, where we put Daryl on him one-on-one wherever he was. And basically, he was usually into the sideline where Daryl was. He was a split end. And so Daryl had him man-to-man all over the field, and we played zone behind it, which meant we give up that backside flat. But we kind of felt we might get to him before, you know, they could get somebody there. And if they did, we had a corner and we could run him down. But anyway, uh, so I remember a couple of plays where uh, Daryl was on this guy's butt. I mean, he was just – and we told him, you just got to be on the hip, you know, or or just, you know, close. And so they tried to run – this one particular pass where, and it's probably one of the, the biggest pass plays in, in, uh, in college football, but they brought him across uh, the ball, the receiver at about 12 to 15 yards. Well, there was no place for Flutie to throw the ball. 
because he was going to have to throw it through Daryl because Daryl was all in this kid's grill. But, uh, you know, we, we couldn't have done that with anybody else. If Daryl had gone down, whoever was backing him up would not have been able to have, have done that. But, and that wasn't the thing that won the game, but that was a big factor in, in uh, Flutie's inability to, to do what he liked to do. And I can't remember, this, this is Phelan, I think, this guy's name. He was the guy, I think, that caught the ball against Miami on that Hail Mary. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Phelan. Yeah, interesting, Coach. Uh, you know, I, I really appreciate you sharing uh, stuff, uh, stories, and, and the technical side that most people don't get to hear. And, and we could really delve into the technical part of football, and, and maybe we'll okay, do that on can, another we can, show. We can bore all your uh, to death. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you'd be surprised. Uh, you know, fans need to, in my opinion, need to hear this. Uh, let's talk about this, Coach. You, you mentioned halftime adjustments. You got 15 minutes. Tell us what happens in those. Well, the first thing minutes. that happens is uh, all the all the position coaches get together, and the guys in the press box are important, and feedback from the players on the sideline are important, and so we talk about what hurt us, we talk about what we could do to counteract that, and then we we may make some sort of an adjustment. Uh, it's very rare that at halftime uh, you would go in and maybe. Uh, change a defense uh you don't necessarily do that uh that that's happened and i can tell you a couple stories on situations that happened like that but uh uh and then each position coach goes to their position and tells them what we're going to do if we're going to do anything or they just go and talk to them uh uh you know just to talk with them and get some feedback from them uh some more feedback and then they open it up and usually I would uh, talk to the defense and if any of the other coaches had anything to say, obviously they could say it. So that's what happens in 15 minutes on top of the guys going to the bathroom, getting some water, take their headgears off, sit down and kind of, you know, chill out as best they can, but they got to pay attention. They got to pay attention. So uh, halftime adjustments, uh, I don't say they're overrated uh, because they aren't, but, uh, and a lot of times they will uh, help you to win a game. Uh, but by and large, uh, you subtract at halftime and you don't add. Oh, really interesting. Uh, again, the part of the game people don't get to see, uh, which is, you know, I try to ask questions about things that aren't on ESPN that aren't, uh, in sports illustrated, uh, I, I like to ask as a fan, but also I've been a player. So uh, I, I try to, I try to hit on that. Those different subjects when I ask questions. Uh, and again, the technical part of football, uh, we'll get into that sure. some other time and, and uh, talk X's and O's and, and you'll be doing the talking okay, and I'll I be doing do the listening. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, coach, you, you were honest to goodness. Uh, I've known you for 40 yeah. years. Do you realize that yeah, I'm 53 quit, years quit old? Reminding me because if you're that old, how old am I? You know what I mean? Uh, well, I'm sorry, coach, but, uh, again, as, as a kid and almost being part in a, in a kind of off to the side way. Uh, I think I started going to camp in 81 uh, up there and knew the staff, uh, you know, for many years. And then I signed with you guys. And so I have, I think I have a unique sure perspective. Sure you do. Those, of, those camps, uh, we, we, uh, we really uh, enjoyed those camps. Uh, you know, they're, they're a lot of work and, and you do, uh, you know, a lot of planning just like you do everything else to, to get it you know you you know we used to just about write to every nfl football team to get their highlight film and you got to do that way in advance and you know you got uh, dormitories and you got menus and uh there's just a there's just a lot to it and uh we uh we had we had a lot of fun and you know uh because 
of the statute of limitations, I can say the coaches had most of their fun after everybody went to bed. And, uh, and uh, but we still had somebody at CQ and for all the, the military veterans out there that we always had somebody charge a quarters. So, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to tell anything more because Doc Holliday is the head coach over at, uh, uh, you know, the thundering herd over there. So Doc had, Doc had a, yeah, Ed Marshall, Doc yeah. Had a lot of contacts in Morgantown, him and Dunlap. And so, uh, we, uh, we had, we had some fun. We, and of course we had, we invited high school coaches in and made a lot of friends with those high school coaches. And, uh, they, like I say, we, uh, we had fun after, after, uh, charge of quarters was done and, and all the kids were tucked away and uh we would uh we would we would make uh for a couple hours afterwards and you know coach if i could share uh this show certainly not about me but i attended those camps and would see guys older than me and i think boy if i could if i could just get to that level uh if I could just make it and be as good as they were. And uh, even though my college career was not what I wanted it to be, that's on me, but uh, I did get there. And uh, I've always had that thought about, you know, one year I was coming up there and seeing these guys. And the next year I was in the huddle with them. Yeah. uh, Talking about the camps and and, uh, the coaches that we brought in from high schools and, uh, and, uh, you know, our staff and, uh, you know, every, everybody staff wise, uh, you know, had one thing in mind, you know, we, we wanted to make the program grow. Uh, you know, we recruited Jersey and Pennsylvania and Michigan and Ohio and, uh, Doc Holliday wound up going down to Florida and, uh, bringing a lot of good football players from down there. And, uh, of course, I think he's making some hay with, uh, some uh, Florida kids that that uh, uh, staff uh, or the, the players that he has there at Marshall. But uh, yeah, we, uh, we had a good group of guys. It, uh, they worked hard. Yeah. Coach. Uh, but what I was saying before we got cut off was it, from my perspective, when I would come to the camps and I would think, boy, if I could just be as good as that guy, mm-hmm. uh, if, if I could just attain his, level is is and eventually i did uh so one year i'm up there you know walking through the locker room and talking to you guys and the next year i'm in the huddle uh, <laughs> uh that's the way it happens sometimes man yeah and uh i was uh also saying that the hardest hit i ever took in football was from one of your from one of your guys a guy named Derek christian Derry Christian, my my good friend, who I'm still trying to get in touch with from St. Albans. Yes, and uh, Derek played middle linebacker, uh, 250, 255 pounds, and uh, we I'll never forget, Coach. We were playing Virginia. I was on the scout team, and I was playing Jim Dunkowski, the big tackle, the big All American tackle, and so you hold up the card, and I see my Simon is the middle linebacker. And as we, as we, the ball snapped, I took my step, took my second step. And I thought to myself, I've got him. I've got him. You know what I mean? He's in my sights. I bring back the guns to make the, the block. And the next thing I know, I'm on one knee coach. And you, you've heard the term looking out your ear hole. (laughs) <laughs> buddy i was looking out mine he hit me yeah. with a forearm that just about broke my face mask yeah and yeah, uh, we we had uh we had some really really good linebackers they uh you know they left us they left us with some dennis folks out of columbus being one uh or maybe it was cleveland i'm trying to remember i've i've talked to him down through the years but anyway uh uh, and then, you know, we recruited Derek out of St. Albans and I remember sitting out in front of his house and, and, uh, and, uh, just not arguing with him, but you know, he was hard headed and he may have been playing me. I don't know, but, uh, we, he wound up signing with us and, and that was, uh, 
he was a good player. He, he was a really good player. And, uh, you know, we, our, the, the, the West Virginia program, uh, the first four or five years that we were there, that was the base of our program. Uh, I mean, we had Bill Legg, uh, uh, DeJarnis, uh, and I know I'm not uh, pronouncing his name right. DeJarnis. Uh, yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, geez, I wish, you know, it's been 30 some years ago now. I'm, I'm, I'm having a, not a senior moment here. I'm just having, I forgot moment. Uh, you had Newberry, uh, you had Steve Newberry. Yeah, oh yeah. Steve Newberry out there started for us as a freshman on the wide corner. Uh, and, uh, you know, we just, we just had some, you know, some, you know, cams up and we had Bennett and, uh, we had, uh, Walter we had some, Oh yeah. We had, we had some, you know, some guys that, uh, just, just were tougher than shit, man. I mean, they were, they would get after you. They, I, I remember a story about, uh, about, uh, Derek Christian and I wish he was listening because I would like to apologize to him. Uh, in front of your audience, but we're getting ready to play TCU, and uh, I'm trying to remember how he knew that I even ever said this, but we were concerned about our uh, ability to run at the linebacker position, and I had made this statement to somebody that, you know, I didn't, I wasn't sure that uh, that Derek had enough speed. Uh, so, are you are you picking me up pretty good? Yes, sir. Okay. So anyway. Uh, we were thumping them pretty good and Derek had been playing and they ran a play towards our sideline and uh, Derek was in on the tackle. And I think he probably, it might've been a solo tackle, but anyway, so he jumps up and he looks me straight in the eye and he goes, was that fast enough coach? (laughs) 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 You know, great memories. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, you and I talked one time uh, about uh, recruiting kids and about, you know, coaches didn't want to hear statistics. They wanted to see game film, and they didn't want to see highlight films. Right. Uh, They wanted to see the play snap after snap after snap. Is that that correct? That's right, yeah. Yeah, highlight films are nice, but, you know, you want to see – you know, nobody plays a perfect game. You want to see, you know, if they're consistent and, and all that kind of stuff. And you want to see them against the best competition that they play. And uh, also that plays a factor is, you know, uh, back in the day when you would send out cards all over, uh, you know, our recruiting area, it was nice to get back a card from another coach because there's usually a place on the card. Is there anybody you might recommend in your league or that you played against? It was always nice to see a coach or two that would say, Hey, you need to take a look at this Christian kid over at St. Albans or, you know, Bill Legg over at Polka or or whatever the case may be. Uh, But yeah, uh, film is, is very, very important or tape as they call it today. And, uh, and then of course, talking with the individual and seeing them physically. And one of the things that was, uh, a little bit of a barrier when we went to West Virginia was that uh, coaches in good conscience wanted their kids to play at the university. And so you would get a card back with a recommendation from a coach that probably hadn't been to a college football game in a long time, or, you know, certainly didn't understand, you know, the physicality of the game anymore, but, you know, they'd write down that they had a, a linebacker, for example, that was uh, 6'2 and 215. And you'd show up at the school and they were, you're looking them in the eye and I'm 5'9. And they're 5'9 and they're 205. <laughs> you know, you have to tell the coach after the kid leaves, when's the last time you ever saw a game in person or even a parent? You know, uh, they don't understand that sitting in the stands looking at some of these kids you don't realize that they're six foot three and 260 pounds or, you know, they're, you know, whatever they are. I mean, you, you can't win very many division one football games with 225 pound guards or centers. I mean, there are exceptions, not very many because the running backs and the quarterbacks, the quarterbacks are bigger than some of those kids, but uh, yeah, it's uh, but the game has changed, you know, faster, uh, better. They're better coached in high school than they've ever been. 
And oh, there's a lot of your colleges who are better coached than they were. I, I you know, my, my coaches, I loved them to death, and, uh, Bump Elliott and Hank Fondy and Tony Mason and uh, the guys that uh, that coached me when I was there, coached, uh, you know, guys on our on our teams. Uh, we weren't coached nearly as well as a lot of the high school coaches in the country today. And I mean that in a, in a good way. Uh, these coaches, I mean, you go to some of these high school games and uh, I remember I went to a, a teammate of mine who was coaching in Ohio and he actually won a Ohio state championship. Uh, my, our high school coach and I went down to watch him play the year after he had won the, uh, uh, the state title there in Michigan uh, in Ohio 5A. And the first play, and we're on the sidelines because this guy's name is Daryl Main. Daryl wanted us to, to be right down there on the sideline. The first play of the game, he lines up with two wide receivers, quarterback in the shotgun. He's got a, a, a tight set to the right. The guy goes in motion. They snap the ball, and the guy throws a 40-yard pass for a completion. And uh, our coach's name was Ron Pascuzzi. And we looked at each other and said, the hell was that <laughs> this is this is high school football man it looked like a college game but uh yeah, yeah they're these, these high school coaches are doing a great job they really are yeah and you know i feel the same way uh i come from a small school in west virginia and uh love my coach but we really didn't get coached uh you know we scrimmaged yeah and uh very little technique was taught, and uh, you know, I, I if it, I learned what I learned at the camps and tried to you know bring that to the game, and uh, you know, I did okay. Yeah, well, you know, we had uh, we had some really outstanding offensive line coaches, you know, uh, Carl Battershell, Mike Jacobs. Uh, I'm trying to think of a couple of other words, uh, other guys because you know Carl left and went to Arizona State. Uh, Dave McMichaels. Uh, these guys, you know, and, and, uh, and, and the Mike Jacobs went on to, to be the offensive coordinator at Ohio state. Uh, he coached a little college football out in Arizona and guys that were really technique conscious and they, they knew how to, knew how to teach. And, uh, yeah, we, we were very fortunate. Uh, and all those guys were on the staff, uh, at Bowling Green with Don when he was the head coach there, or they played for him. Bobby Simmons right. was a Bobby Simmons who coached our outside linebackers. He played for Don at Bowling Green, so uh, we we had a, a definite uh, flavor uh, from the Mid Mid American Conference, which you know Bo he, he was uh, a Mid American guy. He played at Bowling Green, and uh, he no he played at Miami of Ohio, and then he coached at Bowling Green. So uh, the Bowling Green guys used to get all upset because they talked about uh, the uh, the coaches that came out of Miami of Ohio. Well. There were there probably may have been more coaches that came out of Bowling Green than out of Miami of Ohio. So, yeah, you know, I was surrounded by those guys, and I heard so many stories, and and uh, it was uh, it was just a great time. It was a great time, and I I value and really cherish my time uh, coaching at uh, at West Virginia because of the kids and uh, the people. The people are just are just wonderful. They just I had a group from Bluefield that used to drive me crazy. I loved them to death, but, uh, they would, uh, they were on me constantly about stuff. And, and they, there was three of them, as I recall. And, and, uh, we eventually got to the point where they would come up in the spring and they would sit in my meetings with the linebackers and we would talk. And when I went to Bluefield, we'd get together and, uh, uh, there, there's some, we, we, I, we had a lot of fun and I, you know, I, if you're listening out there and you remember me, uh, I don't remember you, but I do remember your enthusiasm for West Virginia football. <laughs> Coach, just to back up a little bit, uh, you mentioned guys like Mike Jacobs. Uh, yourself, Mike Jacobs, uh, more of the two more enthusiastic coaches on the staff, that uh, Kerlavich, Bill Kerlavich also. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, but – the guys just love playing for you. Uh, they knew you knew where you stood. You didn't take it personal. Uh, you know, society today is uh, sometimes people seem a little soft. They'd have never made it two minutes with Bill Kerlavich. <laughs> <laughs> Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he uh, just an intense guy, but you know, off the field, just as 
sweet as could be. Do any do anything in the world for you as as all of us would do. But you know, we we had to tried to temper Bill at times, and uh, there are some wonderful stories about him that I cannot tell on your podcast. But uh, it's uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, he's he's something. He's something. Yeah, and uh, long, long time West Virginia coach uh, there on the staff, uh, retired now. And uh, well, look, coach, man, I have loved having you on here. Uh, I've loved reconnecting with you, and I hope to have you back again. We can talk anytime about anything you want to, uh, sports wise. All right. Well, if you if you uh, if you give me a couple hours notice or whatever uh i will be more than happy to get back with you i enjoy talking with you i uh, i love uh uh reminiscing about uh, west virginia and uh, the players and the good times we had and uh it wasn't all good times but uh, more good times than bad well coach before we go i give a prize to my guests oh really yeah did right. you uh, you didn't know that did you no yeah so you get to pick between A and B. Okay. Which one will it be, A or B? Oh, you're not going to tell me what they are? You got to pick one of them first, Coach. Oh, it's, okay. It's... Well, I'll take, I'll take B. Okay, B. First, let me tell you what you didn't win. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Uh, I, I know you're in Michigan, so what that prize package was was a full-length parka, snowshoes, Mucklucks and a year's free driveway shovel snow shovel service. And you were going to be able to do that for me here in Michigan. Well, coach, you know, I got connections. Wow. You must. Wow. So let me tell you what you did win. Okay. I can't wait because a was fantastic. Well, don't, don't get excited. <laughs> The prize that was in the other box was an old piece of turf from Old Mountaineer Field that still had the gum and the tobacco spit in it. I know exactly where I'm going to put that. So, most people sort of donate the prize back, Coach. Well, if, 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 you, if you want me to do that, I will be more than happy to do that. I, I, I really... I didn't need the the snow thing because my the, the kids bought me a uh, a snow thrower whatever you call it uh, and it's in my second year uh, I've quit shoveling myself but uh, seriously uh, yeah if if you if if I should give that back I'm giving it back only because you said that's what most people do because I mean I've I've got a lawn out here that I I would be more than happy to put that uh, that uh, grass with the bubble gum and, and the tobacco in it, that'd be great. But no, let's, let's give that back. And I'll tell you what, you can, you can send that to Steve Dunlap because he's in Morgantown. <laughs> you know, coach, I really didn't have it. <laughs> you know, it's, well, you're, you're good. It's, you're good. That was very good. You got me hook, line, and sinker, brother. It, uh, it's sort of my shtick at All the right. end of the thing. Right. Hey, look, I, the, uh, I have got some people, with the the prize that they didn't win, knowing that something that's close to them, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, a, a letter from a, a coach or a, a something or another, and they're like, "Really, really?" <laughs> <laughs> well, you're good. You sold that man big time. Yeah, and, and Joe's back when I had him on. His prize that he didn't win was a year's supply of steak from Kansas City. Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. And what he did win was a hand stamp from an old bar in Morgantown called Fat Daddy's. Oh, I don't remember going there. I, you know, the, he, one, the one I remember was the uh, the one across the river. There, the, uh, they, 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 they served the, the beer and fish bowls. Don't recall it. Yeah, that was uh, that was one of Doc, Holl Doc Holliday's haunts that he used to that he used to hang out in. I hope none of his players are listening because I'm sure they don't think Doc ever had a beer. <laughs> well, we, they were, you guys were adults and, uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. We had a lot of fun. Hey, I'm telling you that staff, we had a lot of fun. I'm telling you, I, I can't tell you, uh, some of those summer camp antics 
uh, you know, while you guys were sleeping and, uh, you know, all that kind of, and, and, uh, I hope Jeff Hosteller uh, isn't listening. So he'd tell his father-in-law, but Don, Don didn't know anything about him. So, uh, you know, that's good. He didn't need to know. Yeah. Right. Uh, uh what's that? Well, they call it plausible deniability. You got it right there. Well, coach, Again, man, it's been my pleasure. Uh, I, I know we stay in touch and talk, and I cherish that. And uh, I appreciate you being on the show. Episode 24 okay. with former West Virginia assistant head coach and defensive coordinator extraordinaire, <laughs> Dennis Brown. Michael, you have a great holiday. Stay healthy, brother, and we'll be talking. You know that. Yes, sir. Merry Christmas, Coach. Same to you. Bye-bye. Bye. Talking to the Mike, brought to you by RSN Sports, best in the business, Parmar, and Brent's Plumbing.